Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Everyday Theology Podcast, where we as ordinary pastors connect theological truths to everyday believers like yourself. My name is Ben Campbell. I'm one of the hosts here. I'm joined by another one of your hosts, the OG, Dustin Walters. Dustin, how you doing today, man? Doing well. Probably the only time ever that my name will be used with that phrase, OG, but appreciate <laughs> the compliment, I think. Um <laughs> Anyway, it is so good to be back here, and this is, you know, the first Friday of March, Ben, so that means that this is for Lindsay and Friday, and uh, we hope that, you know, our listeners have continued to enjoy this, and really what we've tried to do is uh, we've tried to make, for, for those of you who have read Quest for Truth, we've tried to kind of bring some truths back to your mind that, you know, you have read before that were foundational to you at a previous point in your life. But uh, what we're trying to do as well is people who maybe haven't read the book or maybe haven't had time or they haven't had access to it or whatever. We want you guys to kind of have an understanding of what Four Lines uh, accomplished in his work, The Quest for Truth. So today we get to talk about, Ben, one of the issues that I think is is really most important for understanding the Calvinism-Arminianism debate, and that is the title of, of the chapter uh, in chapter 13 in Quest is entitled The Condition for Salvation. So this, I think, Ben, as we get into this, our listeners will see, this is one of the most important ways that, that Arminians and Calvinists are distinct, even though, as Pinson and Piccarelli and others have pointed out, there, there is a great continuity uh, with the broader Reformed tradition, except in this area of conditional salvation. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. Um, this is probably going to be the most controversial of the podcasts um, until we get to, you know, the topic of election specifically, um, because we're we're not talking about election today. What we're doing is we're talking about the condition of salvation, and um, but this is going to be where we differ most um, for our uh, with our Calvinist counterparts. And so um, I think it's going to be, I hope, it's, I hope it will be a fruitful conversation. I hope that um, our Calvinist brothers and sisters will not, um, will not shut us down or shut us off or um, kind of, kind of turn a, a, a deaf ear to it and a blind eye. But I hope that they will hear our hearts with this and sort of understand uh, our hearts as we come and communicate this. Well, and as we get into it, you know, Ben, uh, Four Lines' this first section there. Um, is entitled Repentance and Faith, One Condition or Two. And what Four Lines gets at in this section, beginning on page 253, is that repentance and faith are actually together. They're intertwined. They're not separated as, you know, we could talk about them separately in terms of, um, you know, we don't want to commit a categorical fallacy. We could talk about them as as being, you know, separate yet importantly related. And so mm -hmm. faith and repentance uh, repentance is turning away from self-dependence, self-sufficiency, uh, empty religious works, or or not just religious, but but empty works, which the scripture teaches. You know, these these works, uh, ergu to theu, uh, that Paul writes about in Galatians and other passages. The Arminian argument is that, and, and really the the Reformed argument, going back even to Luther. Yeah. Is that that these works um, ultimately are just ash and stubble? 
they're important works and we should be agents of, of culture making. And that's another podcast for another time. But yeah. but but the Arminian would say um, so. So repentance and faith, then, just so we all make sure we're on the same page here. Uh, four lines talks about how repentance is turning away from sin and trusting Christ. Uh, and then he talks about how faith is actually turning toward Christ. So repentance, turning away, faith, turning toward. Do you have any thoughts or anything on that as we get into this first section? Well, I just want to reiterate maybe what you said from the beginning, that the condition is not repentance and faith. The condition is faith, because faith and repentance are almost like two sides of the same coin. Um, you know, you've got a heads and a tails. It's sort of like that. Um, but also, um, I think it's good for for us to sort of um, helpfully um, clarify this through four lines of words. He says, if we want to re- want to make repentance and faith two conditions of salvation— what do we do with the fact that the words repent and repentance don't occur in the gospel of John, nor in first, second, and third John? Mm-hmm. And he asked the question, he said, do we conclude that these books do not have the complete requirement for salvation? And the answer is obviously a resounding no. They have right. they have the words of life. So I think there there is a, a good um endeavor in um you know, making those two things distinct, but understanding that that they are, again, like one and the same. So four lines moves uh, in the first paragraph, or rather the first subsection uh, to describe the meaning of repentance. He talks a lot about the changing of the mind, which I think is fascinating because four yeah. lines was uh, a person who he he believed in the use of the mind and Christian faculty, the Christian use of Christian thought. And I mean, I think that impacts his whole worldview understanding. Um, but he talks about repentance being a change of mind. Uh, yep. he, t- he says there's a change of opinion, viewpoint, or conviction. And repentance related to salvation, the question is, on what does the change focus? This question is examined, answered by examining passages where repentance is used in connection with salvation. He goes on and he lists them. Uh, but the point is that there is a turning of mind wrought by the Holy Spirit uh, through which um, faith ultimately comes to be expressed. So yeah. the relationship between the two, Ben. Yeah, well, uh, I just think at bottom of 254, he says it's repentance that terminates in faith. So so it's it's a, almost, you can kind of think of it as like a, a couple steps up to your front porch, you know, um, or, you know, in, in one way, that's probably a faulty example, but um, you know, you repent from sin. You know, you are repenting and saying that I'm going to change and I'm going to have a change of heart and a change of mind, and a change of life um, and a change of desire and a change of, um, if you will, will, willfulness and, and volition. But 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 I'm then I'm going to because I've repented, I'm going to exercise faith in uh, the Messiah, Jesus. Um, he says repentance stresses that change is involved. Faith stretches the end to which change is directed. Mm. So, so there's a so think, logical argument there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a there's a nice sort of clarifying element to what is going on. Well, and Four Lines is very quick to point out that while repentance is necessary and is closely related to faith, um, sorrow for sins is not repentance, according to Four Lines. And and uh, yes. there is a difference in 
in uh, confession, in the context of public worship, Ben, that is I'm confessing this because I'm afraid I'm going to get caught, called or found out about my sin. And that's a whole different thing than, you know what, I, I have sinned, I have grieved God and his church by doing this. And and so now I stand before God as judge uh, facing the consequences or whatever mercy he may bestow on us. But mm-hmm. but just feeling sorry for ourselves isn't repentance. And and I think that's very, very important that Four Lines says that. Yeah, yeah. So I really like how Four Lines then goes right into what saving faith is. Now, that there, there's going to be some some probably some massive theological differences that we're going to have with some people here. But um, I love his definition of saving faith. Um, He says that saving faith is the abandonment of all trust in self or anything else and a complete confident trust in Christ for salvation. That's what faith is, right? Faith is trust. Um, It it, it is a hopeful trust. That's how Pick really defines it. Um, And so, um, what Fourline says here is that there is a bit of a problem, though. There, there's sort of a tension um, that the Bible gives. I mean, that's why there's a big disagreement about this, right? Because it's because there's tension in this doctrine. But he says, how do we avoid leaving the impression that salvation can be a superficial experience if faith is the only condition for salvation? In other words, he says, you know, some try to cope with this problem by the way they explain the nature of faith. And so what Fourline says is that faith isn't complicated. He says there's two elements. There's an acceptance of redemptive truth, and then there's trust. So you can kind of look at that, again, like a repentance and faith type thing. Repentance is showing that, hey, I I see the, the validity and the truthfulness of God's word and his truth and the truth of Jesus Christ and his, his messiahship and his being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So I'm going to then move uh, my desires and my trust of self, and I'm going to die to myself. That's scriptural, by the way. And then I'm going to trust in Christ and his work. There's so much to what Four Lines gets at, and, and really this section on the condition of salvation and how faith uh, is saving faith, Saving faith, four lines, distinguishes between uh, any other kind of definition of faith. Four lines grounds his understanding on biblical terminology, even mentioning the Greek and Hebrew words for what it means Mm -hmm. to have faith. Because, Ben, in our day, belief has come to mean maybe like, I wish something would happen. And four lines is quick to say that's not what the Bible says about belief. And Pickerilly, you mentioned Pickerilly. I absolutely, and I know this is for Lindsay and Friday, but they were close and, and dearly connected brothers. There's for, a silent F in Pickerilly. <laughs> uh, Pickerilly, the way he defines saving faith in his discipleship book, really, I think, echoes what Fourlines is is saying as well. Well, you know, when I when I wrote that paper on assurance, um, Pickerilly, Doctor Pickerilly, gave me some really good feedback, and he said, "You don't have to say." faith and belief. And he said the reason for that is because it's the same word in the New Testament. Belief and faith are are the exact same words. So, so it's interesting that that the translators are 
tra sometimes translating as belief, others are or translating it as faith or whatever. Um, but but you you don't have to say both because they're the same thing. By the way, this comes to play in um, our conversations that we've had on baptism. I just this this is totally on the fly. Then it just came to my <laughs> mind. But you know, um, Mark Dever at Nine Marks and Capitol uh, Hill Baptist Church uh, has been known for saying something. If somebody got saved, praise the Lord. And Mark Dever replies to that confessional salvation with, and obviously he's not an Arminian. Uh, we respect Dever deeply, uh, yeah. but but he's coming from more of the Calvinistic framework. But Dever said, when somebody said, hey, you know, this person got saved, gave their life to Christ, Dever said, we'll see in six months. And some people yeah. kind of pushed back against him and said, like, why would you ever say that? And he's basically getting at. I mean, is it fair to say that he's he's talking about, even as a Calvinist, the importance of life change and repentance for sure. for this person who's made a profession? He, he's saying with a six-month comment, let's see if we actually see that faith put into action. Yeah, and I I think that um I think that, that brings up really the the tension with the order of salvation, the order of salutis. Um, you know, that's really where um we're going to have the biggest difference. Um, because um, you know, four lines says we believe for salvation. So um we're not believing because we've been saved. We believe therefore we are saved um so he says salvation is the goal of faith or the goal for faith so um you know there there is uh so many things that we could go on with this he says saving faith is exercised by a person who realizes that salvation is designed to forgive people of sin and restore them to the experience of holiness according to christian theology upon this act of faith based on the atoning work of christ the person is justified and sanctified. It's interesting, Dustin, that we can agree with our our uh, theological counterparts on the fact that justification is by faith alone, and yet disagree uh, when when we say that faith is the condition for salvation. Yeah. Um, In conversations of soteriology, there's a an old Latin phrase that people use to talk about this thing about what order all of this comes in and it's just simply ordo salutis and what you're getting at there is how do justification and sanctification come out in the ordo salutis and what four lines is gonna is gonna argue is that um there is no saving faith without at least some understanding of what salvation is about salvation is exercised by a person page 256 Salvation is exercised by a person who realizes that salvation is designed to forgive people of sin and restore them to the experience of holiness. Such a person realizes that he or she is a sinner. So he goes on to say he trusts in Jesus as Savior once he realizes that he's a sinner. In so doing, he trusts in Jesus to forgive his sins and change his life. According to Christian theology, this act of faith based on the atoning work of Christ, the person is justified and sanctified. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's important here to exercise our own minds in understanding that that faith is a gift. Um, four lines goes into that. You can think of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's for by grace you're saved through faith. Um, and that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Um, 
four line says, God gives to us the aid that is necessary, without which we could not exercise faith. It is not a gift in the sense that it is that it is not an exercise of our own personality. So th that's important. Enter in, again, total personality here, which we've probably discussed every Friday, every first Friday of the month for the past year. But um, but you can understand that that there is this, there is the total personality approach to this, meaning that we as human beings think with our minds, feel with our hearts, and act with our wills. Um, but but what Four Lines is getting at here is that there is a there is a grace that comes before that allows us to exercise faith in the finished work of Christ, which then shows us that that uh, which is the next subheading here, but that faith is the condition, not the ground of our salvation. I think that is so important. I'm so thankful that Four Lines includes this in uh, in this chapter because he says the ground of our salvation is Jesus Christ and his atoning work, but the condition of our salvation is the response of faith. Also enter influence and response. Which is why, why it's important also because Arminians are not universalist. Right. Arminians do not believe that everybody's going to heaven. Arminians do not believe in universal salvation for this reason that four lines describes right here that you just quoted. The condition of our salvation is the response of faith. Christ died for everybody. We believe in general atonement. So connected within that theological framework, it also logically follows. It's not contradictory that the condition of our salvation is the response of faith. Christ died for everybody, Ben. But the reason why not everyone is going to heaven, contrary to what our obituaries and our papers and Facebook <laughs> obituary pages for our counties, you know, that they say, you know, everybody, they're, going, they're in a better place. Everybody's yes. in a better place when they die, which <laughs> those, those persons that genuinely will enjoy eternity with Christ forever are those persons who have responded in the freedom of their will through faith. Um, no, exactly. And, and, and here's, here's something too, that I think deep down, um, I think, I'm going to make a bold statement, and our our Calvinist brothers and sisters can correct me if I'm wrong. But I think everybody truly believes that there is a condition for salvation that it's met. That condition is met in faith in Christ. Um, and the only reason I say that is because when we look at page 259 of Quest, we see four lines quoting R.C. Sproul, one of the leading Calvinists of our of our day and age. And listen to what uh, listen to what. Sproul says here, he says, uh, the whole process, however, is not monergistic. Once the operative grace of regeneration is given, the rest of the process is synergistic. That is, after the soul has been changed by the effectual or irresistible grace, the person himself chooses Christ. God does not make the choice for him. It is the person who believes, not God who believes for him. Indeed, the rest of the Christian life of sanctification unfolds in a synergistic pattern. But the problem that we're getting at here um, with this, so there, there's sort of an agreement and a disagreement here, right? Um, right. Sproul saying, Sproul saying that the process is not monergistic, I think, is wrong. I think, I think Sproul saying that it's not holy mono. I, I don't think that's a possibility because Paul says um, that we are crucified with Christ and it's no longer 
I, we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. That's monergism. Mm -hmm. That is, I can't do this unless the spirit enables me. Um, but this brings back to the to to the the question and the, the issue of the ordo salutis. It's not, it's not that faith is a condition, it's where faith is placed in the order of salvation. Um, because Sproul most definitely believes, along with Piper and MacArthur and all these other uh Calvinist brothers, that that men choose, men and women choose. We we place our faith in Christ, we willingly do that. Um but the, the the order of salvation for them says that it uh, comes after faith. Or, I'm sorry, after regeneration, not before. Yeah, and, and we're moving into this section between the difference of classical Arminianism and Calvinism. We've talked about faith and doubt. We're talking about monergism and synergism here. Uh, we're talking about regeneration. Uh, the, the reason why this all comes together is... Um, in both Calvinism and Arminianism, regeneration is solely the work of God. Forlan says that in Calvinism, the order is regeneration, one, two, faith, three, justification, four, sanctification. Forlan presents a view that is outlined in the following way. One, faith, two, justification, three, regeneration, four, sanctification. He goes on to talk about the way the Holy Spirit applies this and works in the believer. He talks about synergism, uh, and he says, by definition, faith is a human act of believing. Active participation in faith on the believer means it cannot be otherwise synergistic. In my view, Forlan says, we are dealing with influence and response. And this, my friend, is one of the greatest contributions of Leroy Forlan's to modern Ar Arminian theology is that yeah. – Influence and response are different than cause and effect. That is so important to to understanding uh, four lines as theological method. Um, it's important to just understanding, I think, the Reformed Armenian perspective as well. Um, you think about this, um, that there is um, just because we believe that there is a, a human um, element to this in the fact that humans choose, we make choices doesn't mean that that we are saying that salvation is synergistic that man cooperates with god we're not we're not pelagian right and we're not semi-pelagian um but what we're simply saying is that god works um and and interacts with humanity not in this cause and effect type of relationship because that's like a machine worker with the machine i press a button the machine does this you know um i turn the key the engine combusts and turns on it's not like that that's not how god interacts with uh his creation and we see that because uh we look at the image of god in the old testament and it's rational and again total personality god is a thinking feeling and acting being and we as his creatures are rational beings who think and feel and act as well and so um we are only able to say yes because we've been drawn by god to himself yeah. i think about the song we sing and, and i love the song and, and you know we, we sing it a lot for our kids at camp every year and you know as we get into the spring semester here and there's a lot of a lot of people in our churches that are getting ready to raise funds for their kids to go to camp and and we support that and we pray that they will but you know thinking about the song ben i have decided to follow jesus and what we we can sing that 
wholeheartedly, robustly. Sure. Uh, but when when we as Arminians sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, we didn't just wake up one day and decide of our own humanness, of our own ability that we're going to choose Christ. The Spirit was working through various influences in our lives. Uh, you, uh, you and I both have different yet similar stories of coming to faith in Christ. Uh, you grew up in a pastor's home and you were inundated with the gospel. And there came a point where Ben had to follow Christ and it wasn't enough uh, to yeah. just be a part of your dad's church, but you had to follow. But the same is true in, in my life and, and everyone else's. You know, I, I was uh, 12 years old, came to faith in Christ. I had I had grown up in a broken home, uh, but there were Christian influences. And I, and I lived in an environment that has been known as the Bible Belt in North Alabama. And people trusted the Bible and respected it, even if they weren't believers. But so I grew up in that environment and God is the one who allowed me to be born to this family and to, to live in the community that I lived in. But there also came a moment where I had been attending church for several months and I was in a worship service and the pastor was preaching on eternity. And there came a moment in that service, Ben, where it was very clear to me that I'm a sinner. And that I, if I were to die, I would not spend eternity in heaven in yeah. that moment. And that was the work of the Spirit. Now, um, the act of walking the aisle wasn't the act of faith, but was an expression of. Because somebody could pray and accept Christ by their bed, you know, in their sure. home, in their car. But it was that act of, so. so when we say, I have decided to follow Jesus. What we're saying is, I recognize the Spirit is convicting me. I'm going to respond in the affirmative. Now, you, C.S. Lewis said you can either accept Christ or you can reject him, but you cannot deny him. And I think mm. if you add Lewis's paradigm to four lines here, you end up with a robust total personality view uh, that impacts our view of soteriology. And, and that's so foundational for understanding reformed arminianism isn't it because we understand that people are total persons in that again we're not machines we're not controlled by this divine puppet master who is holding the you know holding the reins and 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 moving us and 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 doing these things um you know controlling our lives in that way no he's created us in a world to make choices. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, the whole world is full of nothing but choice making. That That's what we do. That's who we are as human beings. Again, Four Lines is just, and this is not original with Four Lines. Like I read this in Arminius years ago. We, we are people who think and feel and act because we have the capacity and the faculties to do that because God has created us this way. I mean, you look at the garden, Dustin. The garden is here, and God places Adam and Eve in a perfect world and says, oh, wait, but don't eat of that tree. Yeah. There's how many thousands of other trees in this garden, and there's one tree that you can't eat of, and that's the one they go to. Yeah. That, that establishes for us not – a necessarily, if you will, if I think it, it it gives good basis, but it's not just the the refutation of Calvinism. 
It's the affirmation of a freedom of the will within the framework of possibilities to show people that we make choices not based on God's determined will, but based on our freedom and our image, Imago Dei, that we've been created with. Right. And and to your point earlier, you were talking about God not being the divine puppet master. This is important even politically. So we can insert insert this into this conversation. I've recently read and reviewed F. Lewis Borlons's newest book that he wrote posthumously under the editorship of Matthew Stephen Bracey. And it's an excellent book entitled Secularism and the American Republic, where he reflects on Thomas Jefferson's view of church and state. Here's the thing, Ben. I, I don't want to create a straw man. I don't want to create an argument that is fallacious. But if, sure. but the puppet master thing isn't even truly Calvinism. It's it it can lead to it. It's deism, which is not Christian monotheism and the triune God who is personal. Right. I mean, and, and so I think I'm not saying that Calvinism is deistic. But I am saying if you remove the human person from faith, um, that it maybe has more deistic tendencies than Christian theism. Yeah, yeah. It sort of it sort of removes the personal element that and the personal relationship that that is possible. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think it's this is where we kind of get at the heart of the matter here. And, And Four Lines closes this section, Ben, talking about how faith is not a work. A lot of times um, the Calvinists will point to us and and say that, um, you know, well, uh, you're saying all this about free will. So then what you're actually saying is that faith is a work that humans do. That's not what Arminius believed. That's not what Fourlines believed, even though some of the later non-Calvinists, such as Wesley, Wesley defined work and faith in different terms than than Arminius and Fourlines, obviously. Um, and I, we don't need to oversimplify Wesley either because that sure. brother contributed so much. Uh, and I think to bring in Matt Pinson to this conversation, Matt Pinson has shown us through the years of his writing and ministry and, and just public conversations. And he has taught us that Arminius had a lot in common with Calvin. Uh, and yet there are important differences between reformed Arminians or Picarillian or Forlensian Arminians mm-hmm. and and uh, like Charles Finney or somebody yeah. like that, even though we respect, you know, different things from those brothers. So how, how to bend do we come to terms with this point of that four lines makes that faith is not a work? Well, I think I think there is um, I think there are some very foundational beliefs that that aid in this um one is the the fact that um we are saved we are justified by faith alone in christ alone those reformational solas i think are very foundational to this this perspective of of faith as a worker or not a work um another thing i think is important is the sufficient work of christ amen um that 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 is foundational. I mean that that is at the heart of Christian theology, is that I I like to the way I sort of give gospel presentations, like in sermons, is I say that Christ um, lived the life you could not live, but died the death you should have died. 
Um, because that, in, in other words, we we should live perfectly, but we cannot. Christ did. But then at the same time, like we owe a de- Anselm, probably one of my favorite historical theologians, says man owes to God something he cannot repay, but he must repay it in order to be saved. Mm. And 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 the beauty of Christianity is that God in his love and his grace became man and paid our debt. And here's the crazy thing, Dustin. Mm. He saved us from himself by himself. And for himself. And for himself and through himself. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's that's the beauty of uh, Christian theology. It's the beauty of the gospel that only God can save us from God. And so for faith to be to be counted as a work goes against the narrative and the story of Scripture. I think of four lines his words on 265. He says the only ground of my justification before God is the penal death of Christ and his life of absolute obedience to the Father. That's our basis of reconciliation and ground for justification before God Almighty. Um, he, he mentions in this chapter the hymn, The Solid Rock. Yeah. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Um, when darkness seems to hide his faith, I rest on his unchanging grace. When he show, shall come with trumpet sound, listen, he says, oh, may I then in him be found. Not, not dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Because mm-hmm. it's on Christ, the solid rock I stand, and all other ground is sinking. By the way, um, just a fun note, two, two observations here. He mentions the hymn that indicates um, a little bit about his theological method. He's not writing a theology that it's just out there somewhere. Uh, Forlan's understood that it has to be lived out in the body of believers, the church. I wish, I wish he would have written a book on ecclesiology. Man, yeah. but as you were reading that hymn, two thoughts came to my mind that dominated as you were sharing that. Number one, the fact that he includes a a, a hymn in the context of the body text of a theology indicates that <laughs> yeah. poetry and art and all of that they do they do come to our theology it, they're not separate so cultural expression is connected to our theology observation one sure. observation number two the subjunctive aspect what's the subjunctive aspect may i then in him be found that has something to say about perseverance which is a topic for another podcast and yet we'll get there and yet the hymn writer says, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone. We are not eternally secure to go about life any old way. I'm also reminded of, of another song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's amazing that Arminians and Calvinists can sing the, sing the same songs and have totally different outlooks. I love the way he sums this up, Ben, and I think this is a fitting way to wrap up this Four Lindsay and Friday. 
Yeah. He says, I believe I can say justification is by faith alone with as much conviction and as much confidence as any Calvinist or Lutheran can. But I would like to go further and make a distinction between the condition of justification and the ground of justification. When it comes to the ground of justification, I would say justification is by Christ alone. My hope is built on nothing less and nothing more than the death and righteousness of Christ and that alone. Mm. By God's help, I believed and he freely justified. Amen. I'm telling you, man, uh, I love I love that 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 concluding paragraph. And I'm just thinking um, I, I have this underlined in my copy of Quest. The death and righteousness of Christ are placed on my account on the condition of faith alone. By God's help, I believed and he freely justified. To put it briefly, justification is grounded in Christ alone. And it is bestowed on the condition of faith alone. So, in other words, we can we can echo scripture that says uh, that Abraham's believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That justification, our justification, is imputed to us. Our righteousness is imputed to us because we have uh, believed in the sufficient work of Christ and His active and passive obedience, His life and death, and His resurrection. Um, and that is made ours by faith. It's not made ours by um, by some sort of coming to God in a, a way that we would think. It's not made by some sort of merit. It is only made ours by the faith that we trust in the sufficient work of Christ on Calvary's cross. I am grateful to God for his grace. I'm grateful to God for the gift of, of faith. And I'm grateful that he provided us with both Arminius and Calvin. And I'm thankful mm. that God provided us with Leroy Fourlines, who had a way of bringing these truths down to everyday believers. And we pray that this truth about our conditional salvation on faith has reached you for your good and God's glory. We're so excited about what God's doing here in everyday theology. And in just a few episodes, we'll be celebrating our 100. We're so thankful for you all. Uh, coming up next, uh, we'll be talking about uh, the next question in the Free Will Baptist Catechism. We hope you all will join us in, in our next Friday episode of Everyday Theology. Thanks for listening, everyone.